Today we're going to be in Philippians 3, 10 through 16. I, the slides were not cooperating, so you will need to grab your Bibles. We're going to be in Philippians 3, like I said, uh, 6 through 10, uh, Romans 8, and then Proverbs 28 is where we're going to land. So let's start out with Philippians 3, 1 through 10. It says, and Paul is talking, he says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his suffering, becoming like him in death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Now that I've already attained all this, or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to be taken hold of, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind me and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us, then, who are mature should take such a view of things, and if some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. You know, Paul says, I want to know God. And we've talked about this a little bit, but, I, but the, the point I really would like to get across is that Paul, before he became Paul, he was called Saul. He knew all about God. He knew the ins and the outs and every little thing. Uh, you know, he already knew that there was a God. He already knew everything there was to know about God. But I don't think he really knew God. He knew of God, but he didn't know God. You see, Jesus had come to Saul on the Damascus Road. And when Jesus actually talks to him, what is Paul's response? He's like, who are you? He did not even recognize the Lord when the Lord spoke to him. And I think this is important for us this morning. Paul's response was, who are you? And I think for some of us, that's the case today. You know, it's difficult for me. On one hand, there's a lot of churches that teach, uh, a lot of churches that teach about God, and, and, um, and I want to teach about God. I want you guys to learn about God. I want to get in the scriptures. I don't want to, to be a, like a fluff church. I want to go through the scriptures because I want to know the things about God but we have to take that next step forward, and that is, I want to know God also. It's not just enough to know about God. So as I teach straight through the scripture, I don't want to leave out the knowing God part. We must get to a point where we continually learn about God, and the reason why we, we need to get to that point is so when God speaks, our response isn't like Paul going, who are you? Our response, or, or, or maybe we just ignore that voice. Paul says, it's not enough for me to know God. I want to know God. I want to experience God. I want to understand God. I want to relate to the Lord. I want to talk to, the God, uh, to God, and I want him to talk back to me. And we need to learn enough about him then build that relationship with him enough that when he comes and speaks to us, we know who's speaking. He goes on and says in verse 10, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. Now, when I hear sharing in his suffering and all that, 
What are some things that we might suffer from here on earth? Maybe family doesn't want anything to do with us. I mean, that, that kind of hurts, doesn't it? Or other things, you know, total rejection from the world. The world doesn't understand you because you don't act like the world. Or rejection from friends. But all this is nothing compared to what's going on in, in other parts of the world where literally they're killing Christians. They're dragging Christians out of their homes and executing the, you know, the whole family. But that's not going on here in the, in the U.S. So, so some of me, you know, part of me gets the idea of suffering and the other part of me doesn't. Now, what are some of the things that Jesus suffered that we will never have to suffer? How about dealing with everybody's sins on, their on his shoulders? I mean, sometimes we have to deal with, the, with our own sin or, or the sin of our family, you know, and other stuff or congregational stuff. But I'm talking about the sins of the whole world on one man, on his shoulders. I mean, how about your own sin and my sin? In a sense, I must deal with the result of that sin. When I ask for forgiveness, the Lord takes that on his shoulders, and I don't have to bear that anymore. How about this one? Separation from God. Christ was totally separated from the Lord at one point. To me, this would have been the most excruciating thing for him. Hell on earth is separation from the Lord. Non-believers understand this because it's really hell on earth because they are separated from God. In Romans 8.28, it says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to become to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. It goes on in verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now that's just beautiful right there. Verse 32, he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, he who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or, or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered, not in all these things we are more, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Verse 38, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the presence nor the, uh, present or the future, nor any powers, nor height nor death or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I mean, we could just stop right there and soak that in all day long. 
You can, you know, you can separate yourself from the presence of the Lord by continuing in sin, knowing that something is sinful, and just going, I don't care. And you separate yourself from the Lord. But God doesn't separate us out. We separate ourselves out from, you know, uh, from living in rebellion by being out in the world and saying, I don't need the Lord. I don't need God. And I could go through all the stats of how many people in the United States believe in God. It's something like 90, 95% that say they believe in God. But you kind of shake your, <laughs> kind of shake your head and say, well, look at the United States. Do we really believe in God? No, no. We separated ourselves out from the Lord in many ways. You can separate yourself uh, from all kinds of things about God, but you cannot separate yourself from the love of God if you're one of his followers. It's like the prodigal son. No matter what you do, the Lord is waiting expectantly for you to come back. No matter what you do in life, the Lord is always willing to accept you back. All you have to do is turn from your ways and head back toward him. Uh, you know, because of what Jesus did on the cross, he died for your life, for your sin. What did Jesus cry out on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God had to forsake Christ for a time so he wouldn't forsake us in the future. Paul goes on and says in verse 10, about halfway through verse 10, becoming like him in death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Paul talks about us being transformed. Uh, you know that word metamorphosis, you know, the changing, the transition in our lives. Paul's not saying that he himself is going to be nailed to the cross, even though Paul will suffer horrendous death later on. But what Paul's talking about here is that he's saying the old part of him was nailed to the cross with Christ. You know, those old habits, those old ways, those old attitudes, our old wishes, our, our old sins. Paul is saying, I'm not considering at all the old part of me. I'm not considering the old Allen. I don't dwell on the old Allen because the old Allen is ugly. I don't know about you, but do you like to dwell on yourself? Do you like to look back at the things you've done that are negative in your life and, and stay there? But unfortunately, some of us kind of get stuck there when Christ is trying to move us forward. As much as we would like to believe that even without God, we are great people. I mean, we can be good people without God. I get that. I'm a good person. But in reality, outside of Jesus, I'm an awful person. Plain and simple. I'm a terrible person. The thoughts that go through our heads are amazing. The things that we do can be awful stuff when we are not following God. Terrible things that can happen in our lives. You know, we may look good and, and healthy on the outside, but without Jesus, our insides are just terrible. We're a disaster. Paul says here on earth, let your old self die. Let it go with Christ. Then we can start to look at the resurrected body, the resurrection body of, of Jesus. And it becomes clear this whole idea of metamorphosis is that we become more like Jesus. Our impurities will be gone. That separation from the Lord that, that happens, the, the, that sin part of us that keeps us right here on this earth will be gone. And there were some things that were you know, difficult or different about Jesus. And when we compare ourselves to Jesus, I mean, he was God. 
And we're never going to be God. I don't care what anybody says, what any type of church says. We do not become a God. No, we become more like Christ, more godly, but we do not become a God. Scripture is very clear that we become somewhat like him in our resurrected body. In fact, the 30 or 40 days that Jesus was on, here on earth after he rose from the dead and before he ascended into heaven, um, were some of the, what were some of the things that Jesus was able to do? He, what, walked through walls? He walked through things? I mean, that's kind of trippy, isn't it? In our resurrected bodies, are we going to be like Christ? We're going to be able to walk through walls? I, I don't know. But the scriptures are clear that we become more like him. He was able to disappear and reappear. Now, my, my eight-year-old Grayson, he would love that. He loves to go around the house, and, and, and if he knows we're coming in the door, he will hide in different places and, and jump out and scream at us and then go, did I scare you? He would love this disappearing and reappearing thing, you know? Jesus was also able to comfort others. We could see the scars on his body, but they didn't hurt him any longer. So are we going to still have uh, the scars that we've had from here on earth? I don't know. If we do, they won't hurt us anymore. And that's the key. That's the hope that we have. And then Paul says in verse 12, Not that I've already attained all this or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. What a verse. I'm not perfect, Paul says, but I'm pressing on. I'm going forward. Paul says later, follow me because I'm following Christ. He doesn't say follow me because I'm more mature and I've gotten, you know, I've gotten, uh, I have this relationship with God. No, he just says follow me because I'm headed toward Christ. So come on, jump on board. Let's go. He's an older man now. And this is the problem of discipleship, is that we really don't take hold of. We always think, well, I can't, I can't really disciple. I look at my life, I'm not a David, I'm not a Paul. You know, I'm not these, these Bible guys that, that are just, they, they understood, right? I could never disciple anybody. And this is our problem. Paul's saying here that maturity needs to step forward. Those who are further along in their relationship with Christ, you guys need to step up and step forward and bring along those people who maybe are not at your point yet. Not saying that you're better than them because we all have sin, but saying you can help them <coughs> along in the process. To say, I'm a little closer to the Lord and you not in a haughty way, but I've been with the Lord longer. I've studied. I, I've done this. I've done that. Sometimes I've done it well. Sometimes I've done it terribly. Let me help guide you so you don't make the same mistakes that I would make or that I've made. We, we should recognize people who are on the beginning of their journey and help them along. This is kind of like I'm less screwed up than you. <laughs> you know, just, just a little. I'm just a little less, not a bunch. I've gone through this, I've gone through that, I've learned a little bit. Don't repeat the same problems or mistakes that I have. So follow me as I follow Christ. That's a good thing. Verse 12, not that I've already attained all of this or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold 
of me. And we really have to, to stop. He, he's saying take hold or lay hold, you know, lay a hold of, you know. So, so lay hold means to seize or to grab a hold of as if it's yours. To take something that, that wasn't your own or maybe something that you did not know was yours and, and you finally understood it and you grab a hold of it and it's, you know, it's mine now. If you don't understand this concept, go to the nursery and toddler room and serve over there. And ever so often bring out new toys and just put them out in the middle. And you will see the kids gravitate and they will start taking toys. And this is like, this is my pile. I'm not going to play with it in the next 10 minutes, but don't touch it because it's mine. You would understand that. So, you know, we're always looking for people to help. So go over there and, and this is a great lesson to understand. To take hold of something new, you know, something and just to grab it. This, all, this word also means to lay hold of or, or to, to lay claim to something. Think of homesteading. You know, we're in California. Hopefully you know our history about homesteading and, and mining. And think of the Midwest. They would open up like the Oklahoma Territory or the Colorado Territory. And literally people would, would go out and they, they would jump off the wagons and they would pound stakes in the ground. And they would say, this area is my area. And they would lay claim to that. To take hold of what is freely offered. Jesus freely takes hold of our lives when we offer it to him. When we ask him to, he lays claim to us. We give him permission to take hold of, and he claims us. He claims us to the Father. He claims us to the Holy Spirit. He claims us to the angels. But most importantly, who does he claim us to? The devil himself. He says, devil, Satan, Lucifer, whatever I'm going to call you right now, this person, they're mine. Don't touch them. I don't care. Don't touch them. This person has my prote protection. Alan Orr has my protection. Now insert your name. Jesus Christ tells the devil that you are under his protection, and that is an awesome thing. That is something that we can take hold of, and we can have hope in until the very end, because we are desiring to be laid claim to by Jesus. But the one thing about this word, we like the homesteading part of it, right? We love it when Jesus lays claim to us and gives us that protection. And we lay claim, we grab onto Jesus, and we get comfortable. We like being comfortable. <laughs> you know, Paul is telling us to, we need to press on and take hold of him. To lay claim to what Jesus has for us in this life. And sometimes we like to lay claim or take a hold of Christ and just stay right there. And say, okay, I'm good, I'm good. And Jesus is like, yeah, but I need you to, to press on. See, the unknown scares us. You know, I look back at certain friends that I've had in different places in, our, in my life. And, and I've seen some of them and they get bogged down. And they can't move forward because the unknown scares them. This is my known, and this is what I'm comfortable with, just so you know. And that's where I'm going to say. You know, when we decide to stop being bogged down uh, by the unknown, the Lord changes us. 
And he will take us places and do things with us. I have a bent toward missions. I always have. That doesn't mean that everybody here needs to go into missions or needs to go on a mission trip. You can pray. You can help fundraise. You can do lots of things without actually going. But some of us are called to go. Since my first trip, I've gone, you know, first mission trip that I ever did, I've gone all over the world. I'm also glad I entered ministry in the first time, just going, hey, I'll help out. What, yeah, we, we have, you know, we have 600 junior hires on Wednesday night. Okay, I can help you. And then start helping out. And eventually that leads me into full-time ministry later on and stuff. But, you know, uh, you know this idea of, of Jesus laying a hold of us and we give ourselves over to him, he helps us press on into his desires, his goals. And that is what is so important. In the Bible this reading uh, this week, uh, the Bible reading this week, I was struck by the situation that the disciples found themselves in. They were going to the other side of the lake. They were on a boat and they were going to the other side of the lake, the, 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 the Gentile side of the lake. Uh, the Jews kind of stayed on one side and the Gentiles stayed on the other side. And a storm comes up and they're out in these boats and they freak out. And here's what struck me. Not that they freaked out because I would have been freaking out. You know, I would have been thinking, well, uh, certainly God doesn't want us to go to the other side of the lake, right? I mean, look at this storm. This storm is preventing us. We may even die here. The Lord doesn't want us to go over to that Gentile place. I mean, the storm's stopping us, right? He's trying to stop us, right? You could, you could almost hear the conversations. And then they wake up Jesus, and he calms down the storm. But I love this idea, this thought of, a little diversity happens, and we think, oh, this isn't the will of God. This can't be the will of God because I'm struggling. When God is saying, no, 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 just trust me. You need to press on in the direction that I'm giving you, that you need to go for, you know, and what he's called us to do. I look back at my life, and I look at the accomplishments that, that the Lord has done I mean, the, the different people that my wife and I, the, the Lord has put people in our paths and we've been able to influence here and there, you know, where he's taken us, all because we said yes to the Lord the very first time. Now, if it was up to me, my life would probably be uh, completely different. And I'd probably be messing it up worse than I already am right now. You know what I'm saying? But when we allow the Lord... To, you know, to, to lay claim to us and not fight it, he can do great things through us for him. Amazing things. Are you satisfied with what God has done for you and with you? Are you dissatisfied? If you're not satisfied, maybe you keep fighting with the Lord. Stop fighting so much, right? We're not allowing the Lord to, to metamorphose us Allowing him to transform us. Verse 12 of um, Philippians 3. Not that I've already attained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to be taken hold of, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind me and straining toward what is ahead... I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which Jesus has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The heavenward call, Paul calls it. 
Paul goes into this kind of athletic mode here, this athletic language. And if you're big in a sports fan, you, you kind of get this. But basically, the heavenward call is the same words that they would use during the great games back then, you know. And, and uh, the judges, they would be down like, like right on the finish line so they could see who would win a race or, or different things. And they would call it. But when it was too close to call, they would do this. And they would look up to the emperor's box. And then the emperor up there would tell you who won the race. You know, whether they did or not, I don't know. It's whoever the emperor wanted to win, right? But it was the heavenward call. They looked up for the person that was in charge to say what it is. And this is exactly, this is the word that, you know, our final judge, this is the word that Paul's using. Our final judge is God himself, the heavenward call. Here Paul is talking about the upward call for the believer. The person that won the prize would then go up the steps and receive the crown. In other words, the blessing of the emperor. And Paul is saying, the heavenward call, I press on toward the goal because I'm going to go get that prize. I'm going to be called heavenward, and I'm going to, you know, uh, and when I get that call, I'm going to go up and receive the gift. Paul says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. But before he says this, he goes, one thing he says and one thing that I do. In other words, he goes, I do, you know, one thing, I, there's two different things here. And when a man, Paul, says one thing I do, we should listen, okay? Paul's famous for his run-on sentences. He goes on and on and repeats himself, kind of like any pastor, right? You know, he says finally, and then he has two more chapters, you know. But Paul says, forgetting what is behind me and straining toward what is ahead. But Paul, we look at that and we say, well, that's really two things. And Paul's going, no, 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 no. That's the same action. I have to ignore that to strain forward. I can't, I can't do both. You see my point? You can't look behind you, even though my son thinks, well, I keep telling him I have eyes in the back of my head. And usually I have my iPhone where I can kind of see him, and I tell him what he's doing, and he doesn't get it sometimes and stuff. But, but reality is, we don't, you know? <clears throat> if you go back and look at verse 3, 4, and 5, Paul lists the things he's done in the past. And interestingly, most of them were bad things. But there were some good things. He was a good Jew. He just didn't know the Lord. But he had to forget all of his achievements. Two, two things that Paul could have kept from his past and just kind of worn on his shoulders, you know. One is the achievements, and, and he would just sit there and say, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm the guy. I'm, I'm the Pharisee. You know, I was good. You should have seen me 10 years ago. It was awesome. It was great. You know, those past glories, you know, let me show you my degrees. Let me tell you who knows me. You know, he's got the picture of him and the high priest sitting on his wall or something, you know, just living in that moment and never moving forward. Paul's saying the one thing he has to do, he has to turn his back on all those past achievements and look forward to more accomplishments with God. The second thing that Paul could have got stuck on was, was his failures, well, what do you mean? Well, Paul had great failures, and we can all relate to this. 
when we think of our past, hopefully we remember the great things we've done, right? But we also remember this other side of us, the other side that says, oh, man, I really messed that one up, didn't I? Oh, those memories, and they'll just kind of flood in, and they can prevent us from moving forward, prevent us from what, does, what Paul says is forgetting what is behind me and straining toward what is ahead. Some of us hide those failures better than others, but we all have them. But for the most part, it's our failures that keep us from moving forward. It's a shame. And the guilt of our past lives before we met the Lord or maybe even after we met the Lord, we have to move on from those. We may mess up again. You know, from time to time, you know, we really struggle with our relationship with the Lord, but we need to not allow these to prevent us. We need to, you know, we need to hand our failures over to him so he can do away with them so they don't creep back in. We all do different things with these memories. I have four different things that we do with these memories. One is we bury the past. A lot of times we like to dig a hole, put everything in there that we didn't like, and just bury it and try to move, uh, try to move forward. The problem with this is it's not healthy to bury the past. I mean, sometimes you've got to do it to, to move forward. But if we don't deal with it, it's almost like it digs itself up and moves along with us as we go forward and we repeat the same things. Now, the second thing we do is we like to minimize the past. Oh, it's not that big of a deal, you know, you know. But, but again, if we don't deal with it, it continues to grow. The seeds are there. It's like, <coughs> it's like out in the, in the backyard. I mean, there's loads of rain going on right now. It's awesome. But if we don't deal with the weeds, they're going to grow up, Right? The seeds are already there. So if we just minimize, oh, those are just, just a few weeds. Well, guess what? They multiply if we don't deal with it. Now, the third thing we do is we love to blame others. Oh, it's their fault. They're the ones to blame. I take, oh, you know. I really had nothing to do with it. I was just there, and I cannot believe what they did. And I think we can just leave that right there, you know? The fourth thing is, we keep dying for our sins. And this is what I mean. We forget that Jesus died on our cross or died on the cross for our sins. We sit there and we may hand over our sins to God and then we drag them back and throw them on our own shoulders and we carry the burden with us. We sit there and we dwell on the past all day long. And this is those times when we really don't feel forgiven. I don't know if you struggle with this or not. It's a difficult place to be. But where you know Jesus, you know, you know he forgives. You know the Lord is gracious and merciful. Yet it's hard to grab a hold of that reality and feel like the Lord's forgiven us. And we really do need to do that. And there's two things that can help us leave the past and move forward. First, we should admit the things that we did for what they are. Sometimes that's telling other people. Now, I'm not saying you need to go around and tell every single person here all the sins in your life. I'm not saying that. But sometimes we got to confess it. 
You know, I mean, in one sense, I, I do understand the Catholic Church, the idea of confessing. Now, do we, conf- do we have to confess to another person? No, we confess our sins to God. We go straight to him. We don't have to have that intermediary, you know, the, the person in between. But sometimes it is good to go to another person and say, man, I screwed up for this. Pray for me. Help me along in this. And sometimes we need to admit it and take our lumps, but then move forward. Proverbs 28, 13 says, Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Just put it out there, and God has that mercy. So we confess them, and we forsake them. We leave them in the past, and we start believing that we can move forward. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ, if you say that Jesus is your Lord, then you should never feel condemned. You shouldn't. You should confess your sins. Once we admit these things, we don't have to live there anymore. We can move on because we're not condemned. I mean, there may be some consequences we have to deal with because with sin, there's a result of sin. You know, uh, the old adage of I can jump off a building and God can forgive me. You know, I can ask for forgiveness on the way down and God will forgive me, but I'm still going to hit the ground. You know what I'm saying? There's still consequences of sin. We can be forgiven. Sometimes he saves us and that is totally awesome, but we still have to deal with those consequences, but at least we can deal with them honestly. Number two, we must accept forgiveness, mercy, and grace. You know what? This is so much harder than it actually sounds. It's not hard to to get mercy and grace. But for some reason, we think we've exhausted the storehouse that God had for Alan. Here's Alan's storehouse for mercy and grace. And oh man, that, that that thing's almost empty. He doesn't deserve any more. We think the Lord doesn't have enough for us. We keep doing this over and over, and we can't keep going back to the Lord and, and saying, Lord, you know, forgive me for this. But the thing is, yes, we can, and we must accept it. The reason why it's hard is it's hard to forgive ourselves. I know of people, people who are really going through this. They stopped living in the now because they can't you know, accept the forgiveness from their past. They're just stuck way back there, and they've never progressed. It's sad when Christians get to this point because Paul is saying we need to keep pressing on. We need to keep the foot on the gas, keep going forward, don't give up. Verse 15, he says, All of us, then, who are mature, should take such view of things. And if some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. I love that. God will make clear, God will, will clear it up with you. That's between you and God. Don't fight with me about it. God will clear it up. What, what have we attained? Salvation. So let's live up to that. I don't try to live a, a good life because God will, will pat me on the back and go, oh you're, oh, you're so good, Alan. Thank you for being on my team, you know? No, it's because the Lord has already paid my price. So I want to live according to what he has laid out. Paul says right before his death in 2 Timothy. Uh, 2 Timothy, I think it's 4 verse 6. For I've already been being poured out like a drink offering. And the time for my departure is near. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. 
Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me to me on this day. It is the heavenward call that Paul is talking about. He knows his time is near. Within a couple of months of this letter being written to 2 Timothy, uh, literally he is killed for his faith. He knew the time was near. But he goes, I hope that I continually press on toward the life that the Lord has given me until that time I am called heavenward. That I never stop wanting to know him. Never stop. That I leave the past behind and move forward. And we need to be turning toward the Lord and pressing on. Let us pray as the worship team comes up and, and finishes us out this morning. Lord, I pray that my relationship with you is all about stopping where you want me to stop and pressing on where you want me to press on. That I not get too comfortable in my life, in my house, in my, with my neighbors, with my friends. That I follow you, whether it's next door, down the street, or in the community, or across the world, Lord. Wherever you call me, I pray that I recognize that call. I pray that we recognize that call and press forward, that we never get too comfortable. I thank you for what you did on the cross, and that I don't have to worry about that part. If I give it over to you, Lord, if you lay claim to my life, amazing things will happen. And I, that's what I keep my hope in, Lord. But even though we're sinful people, you do amazing things through us because it's your will. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. The Lord bless you in this world that's so messed up. It wants to drag you and keep you in the past. But with the Lord, you can move forward. May the Lord's face shine down upon you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for Tyler and the worship team, and they will lead us out this morning.